Hi, I'm Luke Stokes of the Foundation for Interwallet Operability. I'm an early adopter, blockchain adopter and enabler. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast that helps you adopt all the most exciting things in the NFT space. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Look out for a great episode today where you'll learn how FIO is laying the foundation for an easily accessible blockchain future. And how our guest today started his selling career riding a pair of roller skates. Finally, we'll unpack an exciting vision of the future based on nonviolent consensus. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming March 28th to the 30th. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as early as possible for best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special unforgettable experience, there are still opportunities to get involved, but they are going fast. So please reach out at contact at edgeofnft.com. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's Sponsored Spotlight episode features Luke Stokes, the Managing Director for the Foundation for Interwallet Operability. FIO is to crypto what HTTP is to the internet. FIO is the open source and decentralized crypto usability layer that makes sending, receiving, and even requesting crypto easier than ever and dramatically less risky to use. Luke has been a consensus witness for the Hive, previously Steam blockchain since early 2018, and a custodian for EOS DAC, a community-owned EOS IO block producer and DAC enabler since its inception. And he's a really awesome guy that we know very well. Luke, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, that was a long-winded intro. <laughs> we have more. We have more. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's always a lot of wonderful stuff to say about our guests. It's always a privilege to have the folks on that we're able to talk to. I want to start with the basics with you and want to get you to tell us a little bit what is FIO and how did it originally form? As you said, it's we're trying to make crypto easier. You know, crypto is really, really complicated. It's hard to use. It's frustrating. I've been in blockchain since, yeah, I guess, yeah, 2013. So it's been nine years now. It was January 2013 when I first got started. I computer science major guy. So I, you know, I get tech and I, but I also get how often it's engineers building tools for other engineers. And those are super frustrating. And Sophia's human readable addresses, they actually exist as NFTs. So for example, it's a two-part NFT. So Stokes is like part of it, the domain part. And then Luke at Stokes would be my you know, crypto handle that I use in order to send and importantly receive crypto. So we have the ability to request funds from someone, including an encrypted memo. So that's a feature that people are used to in the traditional financial world and they don't have in traditional crypto. It's just you know send only. We have this basically usability layer sitting on top of your, your experience. So if you're in a wallet, you're in exchange, you're in some type of crypto enabled experience, you can have that nice human readable expression instead of these long, crazy public addresses that just confuse everybody. That's what we're building. And it kind of started with I started as a consultant, actually. I came in as a part-time consultant for the project, and I found myself as a managing director. Yeah, it's been a couple of years now doing that. It's pretty amazing. Probably some folks that are listening are familiar with ENS and, and how that sort of simplifies transactions on Ethereum. 
maybe you can sort of compare what you're doing to ENS to start off just as a point of relevancy to folks. We kind of have this little diagram we use. It's kind of like a Zen diagram or where, or Venn diagram. Uh, it could be Zen as well, I guess. How these things kind of overlap. And there's a concept of wallet naming. So ENS, unstoppable domains. There's a whole bunch of other ones like, uh, you know, ADA handles. And, you know, there's a new one on Solana. And like, they all have these kind of wallet naming solution providers, which we feel is, you know, pretty important. You've got CruxPay, you've got, you know, there's many, many of them. What we do a little differently than Ensemble Domains and ENS is we're not doing like decentralized DNS. We're not trying to solve that problem. That's a big, great problem to solve, but we're focused on usability. We do the wallet naming. That's where we're similar. We do additional things such as NFT signatures, which we definitely want to talk about on the show today. We also do, as I mentioned, that FIO request functionality and the ability to add a memo. One of the challenges that we see with some of the existing solutions is either they're on a layer one that's too expensive to use, and, and that's why Unstoppable you know, moved to Polygon and other examples like that. It's just, if it's so expensive, people aren't going to use it. And then the other part about it is the ability to request funds and have a message or a memo and to be able to work in a permissionless way with every single chain. There's no approval that you need if you're a new blockchain with a new token to be able to use the FIO protocol. It's just an open permissionless protocol that anyone can participate in. And prior so, to ENS having a token, we were kind of the only tokenized decentralized business model, which they're exploring as well now, which is kind of demonstrates that we had a good idea there. <laughs> Walk us through how this enhances the crypto experience for someone that loves NFTs and is starting to sort of dabble in that space. Maybe they got something a little bit crazy that they didn't expect to put in their wallet and gosh, it's there now. And now they want to protect it because it's going up in value. How does FIO help? And I'll caveat it with the entire industry is like too early. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I would remember when the internet was first getting going, I built my first websites in like 1996 and stuff. And things were frustrating, things were difficult, and it just takes time for usability to catch up and for people to actually prioritize usability. So I'll, I'll say that as a caveat, and I'm reminded of that even right now is today I, I read an article, I forget which, uh, it was one of these metaverse land NFT sale things, and there was a big critique about the project. And as I read through the critique, I was kind of chuckling because most of the critique was really about the blockchain industry. It was like MetaMask is too hard. And they were looking at a blockchain transaction on Etherscan going, this is my receipt. You've got to be shitting me. You got to be, this is crazy, right? Like the idea that this isn't a human readable receipt to know exactly what I bought and I just spent a whole lot of money for. And those are the type of things that we're trying to solve with field protocol. So instead of just some random, if you've seen an Ethereum address or an Ethereum contract address, and you've seen, you know, hex data for metadata that you're supposed to interpret as, you know, this thing you bought, it's not user-friendly at all. And so what we're trying to bring is, for example, you could have the Spirit Seed NFT that could be signed by Edge of NFT, and that could be displayed right in the interface. Like Unique.one is the first integration of the NFT signatures by FIO, where you can go and say, oh, that's a human-readable thing. I know that I got something that is real. It's not just a hash. And it makes sense to me. It's usable. It's kind of like the difference between typing in an IP address and randomly trying to go to some website or having you know a way to go to the web page directly. Or as we say, HTTP for the blockchain, the idea that you have a way to have these kind of routing of images and text and eventually streaming media and all this stuff kind of packaged in a web browser experience. Is like comparing what you guys are doing to like Bitly a fair comparison? Yeah, actually, that's a good way to think about it. Instead of some big, long, gigantic address that you're not going to remember, it could be just a super simple, user-friendly address. And the nice thing about this is it's cryptographically improved in terms of you can have 
absolute certainty that the person who controls that NFT or the person who controls that address is the same person who kind of sent you that request. So you're never going to send an NFT to the wrong account, or you're never going to send tokens to the wrong account because you have absolute certainty that Luke at Stokes is actually me. Or better yet, you're not going to buy an NFT on a marketplace that's fraudulent. That's not actually from people, for example. Instead, if people or, or any other artist wanted to sign their NFT with a FIO handle, then they actually know, oh, okay, I'm buying the original thing. I'm not buying a knockoff. The interesting thing about the crew we have right here is, of course, is we're all nerds, you know, and I think to some degree we enjoy going to the transaction hash and being like, I figured this out. I know what's going on. This is cool to kind of be able to decode, you know, this cool new thing that's going on. And I remember working with a Solidity developer and working on a human facing interface and there'd be error messages that get thrown up, right? If they enter the wrong information, I say, well, we got to make that error message say like something that they understand, the user actually understands. And he's like, yeah, but they did the wrong thing. And I'm like, yeah, dude, they did the wrong thing. They need to know what it is that they did wrong. Like you have so many technical people that are just, they just get it that way. And they don't even get what it's like to not get it that way. We can't highlight that enough. There's something about engineers and I'm speaking as an engineer, computer science major, that we're just like two plus two equals four. It's just ones and zeros. It's just like, what's the problem? We don't realize that when everyone else is out at the parties, hanging out, having a good time, these people are up till two, three in the morning reading white papers and they're just, their brain works a different way. So they're just okay. like, yeah, gas fees and the goo was too high and the contract failure and blah, blah. And people, ex they expect that people understand what that is. I'm an engineer. I just want to say this for your audience. I'm right. a technical dude. I can't figure out this stuff. It's just so complex and confusing that I think it's really important for this industry itself to kind of level up, especially as you guys are bringing in kind of the mass audience with NFTs. These are artists. These are not technical engineer people. They need to have their hands held. Air messages are a perfect example. And before going to this next question, I can't help but recognize, we talk about easy buttons a lot, but I can't help but recognize in this specific conversation, this sort of analog with the sort of Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak kind of thing. It's kind of like, we're nerdy. We want to do it. We want to make it cool. And then having someone not only say, wait, we need to make this user-friendly, but also what's cool about NFTs and this sort of Apple ethos is we want to make it creative. Like we want to make it fun. We want to make it have a personality and have like a ethos behind it. That's really fascinating. In the light of like, telling us about things in a little bit more human-friendly way. Decentralized Autonomous Communities, DACs. Tell us a little bit about them and how they relate to FIO. Today, I actually tweeted about how I wanted to give a shout out to everyone who's been doing DACs and DAOs. DAOs are probably the more common term, decentralized autonomous organizations. It's just one of those things where term gets more popular, gets used, and, and that one uh, is probably more commonly used. And essentially, I describe it as a group of people with a shared goal, and they come together and say, how can we pool our resources, pool our time and attention and energy to do something that we couldn't do as individuals? And then once we get into that situation, how do we have more of an autonomous process for that? So it's not just a bunch of people being like, hey, how do we communicate? How do we talk through this? How do we decide financially where the funds go and everything? And then you know, the community part or the corporation or the company or the consortia like FIO, we run as a decentralized autonomous consortia. Or just if it's a DAO or an organization, what does that all look like? And so it's a massive subject that I think is actually probably this year or next going to be a really big deal. Like everyone talks about NFTs as the big thing that happened in 2021. I think 2022 or 2023 going to be huge about DAOs and DAX because, and I've been thinking about this and it's kind of the tweet I did this earlier this morning. The existing financial systems and structures for human organization are based on extrinsic motivations. We're either going to throw you in a cage because you broke some law, you smoked some plant you're not supposed to, or whatever it might be, or we're going to pay you money. And if you don't do it, we're going to take that money away from you. It's like threats and rewards. It's extrinsic motivation to do stuff. 
And as I'm talking to a creative audience, you guys understand there's provable science that shows that destroys your creativity. It's not a good way for humans to collaboratively, collaboratively do cool new stuff. And so we want this intrinsic motivation, essentially. And so a DAO model, a DAC model is a group of people that come together and say, hey, we've got these processes like worker proposals and a mechanism where you can have people vote on what type of things they want their community treasury to go towards. And then a way, for example, to do something called a multi-sig. And a multi-sig is essentially a group of people that have the keys and permissions on a specific account and the funds can go into the account unless they reach a certain level of consensus, the funds can't leave that account. So you have a way with these different processes, blockchain processes, to coordinate voting, coordinate membership, coordinate expenditures of the community treasury. This is kind of a summary of what DAX and DAOs are in the nitty gritty. But ultimately, it boils down to a group of people with a shared goal, coordinating the resources together so they can agree and come to consensus on how that money is going to be spent. And you could do some really cool stuff. And I think it's actually going to fundamentally change society. I've been to Honduras and Panama and El Salvador with these different delegations, meeting with the governments there, talking about blockchain technology. And I get brought into those by Brock Pierce and others because of me playing around with DAX and DAOs and just being fascinated by this new model. And we think about, can you imagine governments that were completely voluntary? Can you imagine governments that were service providers? Can you imagine nonprofits where everything's completely transparent, every single transaction they do? Can you imagine corporations where the money that's like Apple, for example, if all that money didn't just go to a small portion of shareholders, but actually went to everyone creating that value. The Facebook example is often used where the people creating the value directly could participate in that value creation is something yeah. that's really interesting. I mean, that's really core to our ethos, Luke. And, and that's why we like having you around. We use the word co-creation a lot and it involves doing things because you want to and not because someone has sort of created leverage. That's to me, the essence of what you're talking about, I think. There's a lot of ways to do business and to have success and put wins on the board. But I think the Web3 sort of world is one where you're really living in abundance and you really are creating something bigger than any one individual is capable of doing. And you're willing to sort of forgo sort of some of the sort of need to rigidity on the front end in return for accelerating progress and knowing that things will work out. And it's a different mindset. And I think we're, as you see people come into this space, they like the energy, they want to be part of it, but they have to sort of adjust. And sometimes that takes a little while. And I think that's a good segue to a little bit more of a philosophical question. I know you like to go deep. So we talk about blockchain and NFTs and their power to improve human lives. How do you see FBO contributing to this goal? And what else has to happen for this to happen on a macro scale? I get excited about when the reason I'm involved in FIO is that as I was building, you know, working with EOS DAC and building DAX and DAOs, kind of exploring this stuff in 2018, saying, you know, how can we redo governments and corporations and nonprofits using these amazing blockchain tools? I quickly ran into the reality that it's just too complicated, just too confusing for everyday people to use these amazing tools. We can have incredible solutions, supply chain management tools and all these different things, DAX, DAOs, everything in between incredible games, all these things, but they're just, if they're too complicated, people won't use them. And so my passion with Theo is kind of being able to say, okay, can we make crypto simple, joyful, fun, not stressful? You're not sitting there freaking out going, oh my gosh, this is a mutable transaction. If I screwed up, I, everything's gone and my savings is gone. And I've heard those stories so many times in the last nine years that I've been in this space that it was just really the pain of recognizing my industry is not ready for the mass adoption. And then recognizing on top of that, 
this kind of law diffusion of innovation where this, these adoption curves are happening, whether we like it or not, this kind of doublings that have been happening for over 10 years. And you look at these curves, the exponential growth that most people are not equipped to recognize, but it's happening and recognizing that, okay, this is definitely going to change the world. In the next three to five years, you're probably going to have a billion users in crypto. How do we prepare this industry for that. And for me, immediately, like we were already saying, it's the Steve Jobses of the world that are going to come to this blockchain crypto space and make it easier. And so I figured, okay, this is the most important thing to do. We can make it fun and interesting. Then we can actually bring freedom tools to more people. It can actually be accessible by the people I met in El Salvador and other countries where they don't have the level of technical sophistication. A lot of us kind of early, early innovators, not even early adopters, but just those early innovators, the two and a half percent or so, we're at about maybe 3.9% in the whole world using crypto on a regular basis today. So we got a lot of growth and it's going to be people that aren't at the same kind of educational and technical know-how that your audience is and that we are mostly. It's going to be a whole larger group of people. We just got to make it simple. So that's I look at it as more kind of a prerequisite requirement to bringing the freedom tools and the promises that this industry has made for over a decade. My mom listens to the show, so I'm sure she appreciates being told that she's among the technically literate. I'm sure she's excited about that. If, if you're she listening. is, if she's into crypto, like she is, she's the early, early innovator. Like, congratulations, definitely. I try to say that my mom time. can't get my mom to listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make it easy, you know. There's a couple of terms that I think are interesting to dive into that circle about what you're up to, Luke. Nonviolent consensus is one. Voluntary hierarchy. Can you sort of unpack those? I think there's some self-explanatoriness, but also something worth exploring there. So talk about where does this term nonviolent consensus come from? Why do we need a term like that? For me, when I look at what's wrong with the world, I look at a lot of people being pushed in a direction they don't necessarily want to go. Maybe they're in a job they hate, or they're in a system a lot of people aren't familiar with the term democide, for example. When they have these causes, we're like, we got to do this cause or that cause to help humanity. Democide demonstrates 260 million people have essentially died because of government. Government is a, you know, basically, a, and even those who agree with government won't necessarily disagree with this definition, but it's a group, it's, it's essentially a monopoly on the initiation of violent force in a geographic region. And some people are okay with that. The Hobbesian Leviathan, they're like, hey, we need somebody to kind of in this area, kind of they get to use violence, but nobody else gets to. And I think that was really important. I'm not frustrated with the history of how we got here. I just also think that it's not going to serve us going forward. So I think that humans do their best work, as we've already been discussing, when they aren't forced to, when they love it, when it's fun, when it's intrinsically motivated. And so I look at blockchains as a tool for nonviolent global consensus, which our community as a human species has never had before. It's usually just whoever's got the biggest guns, the biggest air force or navy or army, they get to define consensus for everyone else. And if you disagree with them, you essentially face violence. I'm excited about a way for the whole world to say, this is true. And nobody with a gun had to convince you of it. It just is. It's immutably true on the blockchain. And that I think is going to have amazing new opportunities for how we interact with each other. And it's also, you can't actually, it's the, as like Michael Saylor and others talk about, it's the only money that you can take with the grave with you. If you have your private key in your head and you you don't tell anybody about it, that money's gone forever. You know, (laughs) it's not like you're going to have it with you somewhere else, but the idea is you can't force someone to participate or not participate in this ecosystem. It's completely voluntary and it's mm-hmm. completely done in such a way that there's no force involved. And I, right. I get very excited about that. And, and the reason why, again, why I think that's important is because we do our best work as, as, as a species when we're voluntarily coming to consensus in a way where we go, hey, this person's not here because I'm forcing them to be here. They're here because they want to be here. And then we get to work together and do cool stuff. Right. 
And I think the decentralized aspect is so important, right? Because if you do look at like a site like Facebook, which we all have our own frustrations with, it is similar. Like people don't have to be there. Like they can complain about how Facebook works, but you don't have to use Facebook. But at the same time, it's there's sort of like a centralized power behind it that can turn people's accounts off and on at the will of, you know, whoever's in charge of things. And I love that example because a lot of people get frustrated with me and they're like, Luke, you, you're a voluntarist or you're kind of in this kind of category of people that get labeled as, you know, anarchists and anarchy just really means without rulers, without archons. It doesn't mean without rules. I love rules. I'm all about it. But I don't want, you know, these violent oppressors or authoritarians to become violent potentially in the future. And so they get frustrated with me. How could you support something like Facebook? It's so, you know, essentially controlled and all these things. And I say, well, the day Facebook gets an army, I'll be more frustrated with them than I am with the centralized governments, right? They're at least still bombing people using, in some cases, my money without my consent. And that's where I'm like, yeah, that's where I draw the line. When there's like physical violence. And not to say that these corporations don't do that as well. There's been discussions about Avion and, you know, how they get water and extract water. These are a larger category of ways that our consent is not obtained from us prior to our wealth and value and energy and time being put into something. So Facebook is a perfect example. You could build a gigantic community or Twitter and they could just remove you. And then you're kind of like, well, that I created that value and you use that value to gain money for your shareholders and investors. I didn't get to see any of that. So that's why I've been a part of Hive for a long time as well. The idea that I can create posts on Hive, the blockchain itself through voluntary inflation that I choose to participate in can reward me and that, that type of stuff is exciting to me. When you get these centrally controlled systems, you don't get to participate in the governance and you don't get to participate in any of the uh, the value creation. Some of the critiques against nodes and sort of voluntary consensus is that ultimately it does become about the biggest wallet holders, the folks with the budgets still ultimately get to call the shots. What's your counterpoint to that? And it goes back to the different type of consensus algorithms. So what you're mentioning, for example, would be proof of stake or delegated proof of stake. It's kind of that they drift towards plutocracy. So whoever has the most money gets to make all the rules, the golden rule, whoever has the gold makes the rules. You have with proof of work, a similar dynamic where whoever has the hashing power. So either they have cheap inroads with the government power, or they have immense treasury to be able to purchase mining ASICs, things of that nature. So it still kind of leans towards that. So I'm super interested in other governance models that For example, Eden on EOS is a very fascinating exploration of an individual human being goes through an induction process on a Zoom call, much like this. You know, they say, I agree to the peace treaty and members of that community validate that they know that person in real real life and say, yeah, I trust that they will follow the peace treaty. And that gets minted as an NFT, put on chain immediately, and that person becomes part of the community. And then they do governance. They call it an election. You can check out more Equal Animals, Dan Larimer's book on this, and you can download it free and read it. But the idea that those committed members of the community all have an equal vote and they go into a political playoff process where they vote to say, hey, I'd like this person to be able to use the community treasury in this way. And so it's not so much a plutocracy. So I'm very excited about those explorations. I think they often get civil attacked. And that civil attack is a term where you have a whole bunch of people, you know, a whole bunch of accounts that look like a thousand people, for example, but they're just controlled by one person and they're all sock puppets. So that's another governance challenge that you run into often with these systems. So how do you know you're actually connecting with conscious beings who are impacted by your decisions unless you know that those are individual human beings? So Eden on EOS is an example of a way to do that without needing KYC, but there are many others like that. So I get really excited about exploring the different ways, you know, proof of time, proof of participation. There's some interesting models that are being explored right now. And so just to make sure we cover that, what I mentioned earlier, this sort of uh, 
voluntary hierarchy term as well. Is that kind of just what you're explaining right now? The fact that if you're in deep, you're in deep because you chose to be in deep. And if you're not, if you're in sort of shallow, that's just because of your choice. Is, is that what that means? Yeah, definitely. And it relates to the idea that some people think DAX and DAOs, when they're first kind of exposed to the idea, they imagine it's just completely flat. And that's the only model there is, meaning every single decision is a referendum where every single member who is participating has to vote on everything. And I just want to make it clear that that's not at all the case. You can have hierarchy in the situation as long as it's, vol- it's voluntary. And, and the distinction there, I think, is critically important because you also, in a voluntary hierarchy, you have the process, for example, I'll use Eden on OS as an example, you will need a 10% referendum to have a new election. So it's very, very simple. And it's actually a requirement every year to have a new election as part of the peace treaty. So the idea being, you can have, for example, administrators, you can have group admins, you can have people that you entrust to be on, for example, the multi-sig of the treasury. And you don't have to be involved in the day-to-day politics and the day-to-day decision-making of every little detail. You can proxy your vote even. That's another liquid democracy is a mechanism where you proxy your vote based on categories. So this is an expert in that category. If there's a vote that comes up based on that, I'll let them make the decision. So I think there's some really interesting ways that we can structure hierarchy in a way that isn't authoritarian, isn't this way you're locked into something and they might use violence against you if you disagree. Like we remove that option on the table hierarchies get much more palatable. And also too, we see them all throughout nature. We see them through our own bodies. Our body is a hierarchy with the head and the heart and all these different things. So I tend to get excited and geek out about anything that mimics what we see in biology and mimics what we see working for millions and millions of years. It's like, yeah, we're probably pretty close to something feasible if it looks a little bit like that. Mm. Yeah. A friend of ours pointed out the term edge effect is pretty interesting because it's the biological convergence of different bio landscapes. And that's a little bit of what we're talking about here. Looking at the broader lens, I know you're always on the cusp of the edge of NFTs just beyond FIO. Is there one project that stands out to you that you're tracking that you think is doing something revolutionary that folks should know about? There's actually quite a few, like I mentioned, some some metaverse stuff and this, that, and the other. But one in particular, and I think I mentioned to you as well before, Josh, is this kind of diatome. Uh, the diatome fund is super. It's, it's diatome.fund. They did this really innovative thing where they auctioned off 50 NFT whales. It's little pictures of these whales. And they actually tracked during the auction how many pounds, how many kilograms of plastic is going to be removed from the ocean with the purchase of these NFTs. And so they're actually building this DAO back to the DAO concept where the community itself that participates can earn the diatome token and then also participate in the governance of who do they hire to remove all this plastic? How do they deliver on these promises that they've made to remove all this plastic? And it's an example that I get very excited about because we think about, we have all these big problems in the world and we generally rely on government to solve some of these problems. But one, they can't solve you know multinational problems. You know The UN, eh, good luck with that, right? And they can't really easily solve problems that just really aren't a priority for that particular governance structure. And so when we have a situation like this, where it's like, oh, hey, you have investors, they're buying NFTs. It's almost like peacocking. They're all excited that they were the one that purchased this NFT that's removing plastic. I mean, what's the point of this type of property anyway? It's just to kind of show off a little bit, put it on your profile picture or whatever. And they're kind of tapping into that saying, hey, let's actually do some good with that. Take that money and actually, instead of it just going to somebody's pocket, actually go, hey, let's do some interesting stuff. So it kind of gives some utility value to the whole NFT craze. So I'm excited about that. I hope it works really well so far. It has. They've raised quite a few, multiple millions of dollars already. And I'm very curious to see if that model gets reproduced for other kind of social good projects that people are passionate about. Because then again, back to that voluntary participation, it creates a lot of value for the people who matter most. Hey, real quick, check this out. For those true fans who pay close attention to Edge of NFT, we're experimenting with some fun new rewards. 
You can get a free POAP NFT. That's a proof of participation NFT from us by going to our Discord, edgeofnft.com slash Discord, and reaching engagement level 6 by January 31. Log on now and get started. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Discord. Jump in, have fun, learn something, and get your free POAP NFT. There's only 50. Also, if you're the first to get one, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. On to the segment, which we call Edge Quick Hitters. Edge Quick Hitters is a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. We have 10 questions and we're just looking for short or single or few word responses. But, you know, we can feel free to expand a little bit if we get the urge. So ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's hit it. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think it would have to be Legos. I was a geek about Legos. That's so many Legos. Legos are so fun, man. <laughs> what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? I don't know if it counts, but I was selling newspapers. I was I had a paper route. And so I was like, my first job is I was like, on my roller skates, actually flinging these newspapers. That counts. I love picturing you on the roller skates too. Not rollerblades, not rollerblades. No, I did gravitate towards the rollerblades eventually. And I got two plates and 11 screws nice. in this arm because I used to do half pipes and skate parks <laughs> and stuff. And oh yeah, I had a bad, bad spill in high school. So next question, what is the most recent thing you purchased? This is top of mind because I just bought my wife of 17 years, a brand new wedding ring. So as much as I'm against the whole ridiculous diamond fiasco, that is like this completely fake manufactured environment. My wife reminds me, Women like shiny, sparkly things. We just got, I was just in California and we just got back uh, for your visiting family for the holidays. And so I spent a significant amount of money on some sparkly, shiny things. And there's a backstory to that too. She was gardening and got the really bad MRSA infection in her finger and literally had to have her ring cut off to the point where they couldn't fix it again. The ring was completely destroyed. And thankfully, I mean, it didn't get serious, but at one point I was like, holy moly, you might have to, you know, it was bad. It was touch and go there for a while. But she went for months without a ring. So she was really sad about where's my wedding ring. So we got her a super nice wedding ring. We got, it's got three stones and she turned the old stone into some earrings. So it's actually a wedding ring and earrings. So unlike Brock Pierce, she wasn't amenable to the wedding smart contract or, or wedding <laughs> NFT. No, I, I was funny. I was joking with someone earlier today as well. Like, you know, he was talking about how they have these new transistors where you can use carbon nano or whatever, and just a little bit of gold. And you don't need gold through the whole thing to do the transistors. And I was like, I don't think that'll work for wedding rings. <laughs> I've been married 17 years and she wants to sparkle. <laughs> it definitely harkens back to that, like the technical nerd versus like the public. Similar thing. Like you can't ignore yeah, <laughs> the yeah, perspective yeah. of a woman. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What is the most recent thing you sold? I don't really have like a huge materialism kind of perspective on things. I'm not like buying and selling. And so I was thinking about this question going, what, what did I sell? And I was like, if I'm fully thinking it through. I'm like, I think I sold some Theo tokens. And, and it was kind of like, oh, that's a bummer thing to sell. My own project, you know, I have a huge vested interest in the Theo token, but there was a moment where it doubled in a day. And I was like, that's not rational. And so we have these like pumper dump groups sometimes that come after. And so I was like, I sold a little bit into that irrational exuberance in order to diversify my holdings a little bit. And pay for that wedding ring. <laughs> and pay for the wedding ring. Yeah, yeah. Those, those kind of things, you know, they don't take crypto yet. They don't take Theo tokens yet, but someday they will. If we can make the process easy, right? <laughs> Next question here. What is your most prized possession? I have to say about this little thing, I old man, this little iPhone. Like, <laughs> I use this so ridiculously often that not having it would be a little crazy. So yeah, I would say my phone. I don't know if that, it's now an attachment of my life. I would say I've actually outsourced part of my consciousness to this little device. We're definitely Androids. We're the Borg here with our cell phones. It's pretty clear. If you could buy anything in the world digital, physical service experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? 
And I guess it would be, and I don't know if it fully exists, but it'd be kind of like gene therapy or some kind of something that make my body not decay. <laughs> like, like, so I think there's like, I've heard, I have some friends are way into like the stem cell stuff, you know, yeah. and, and doing that. And so something along those lines where it could just be like, you know, hook into something and be like, man, my body's tight and good to go forever. <laughs> nice. We'll hook you up with Steve Aoki. It seems to be his direction as well. His episode's coming out soon. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I think the number one thing would be personal responsibility. I really have a high sense of personal responsibility. And I've noticed about Dax and Dows in that world, like it only functions well when people take on a lot of personal responsibility. And this is the whole like, you know, grab an ax and go cut down a tree and, you know, no entitlement, but build something yourself. It's different than just integrity and keeping your promises. There's an action component to personal responsibility. I think gets lost in the mix. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? Probably just like insecurities or, you know, this sense of pride and, you know, or even like sometimes called man pleasing, like trying to make other people feel good about things I do. You know, I think those all kind of rolled together for me in my life. They spin out into, you know, forms of avoidance and all these things. Like I'm, I'm really big on the whole consciousness evolution thing. So I'm like analyzing all these little things. What can I improve better? So yeah, basically just kind of you know, just being who you are, where you're supposed to be, be in flow. This is an easy one. Second to the last question. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I was literally on our account management call for FIO protocol, talking through all our different, I think it's 30 or 40 different FIO integrated partners, you know, exchanges and wallets and, and NFT platforms and stuff. And just kind of like, which ones are stuck? Which ones have we signed an MOU with, but they haven't delivered on that? Which ones are killing it and doing awesome? And then thinking through like how we can actually promote it more and better and get people, you know, let them know it even exists. A lot of people are like, crypto is too hard. Is there a cool new partnership that's going well that you can mention? There's a couple that aren't officially public yet, but we can mention them. I think it's all right. Opera is kind of a lot of people, when you onboard with Opera in Android, you actually are getting a feel of crypto handle as part of that onboarding process, but we haven't publicly blogged about it and promoted it, but there's you know thousands, tens of thousands of addresses that have already been registered there. So that's pretty cool. The other one we haven't really talked about yet at all really is Alti.com. That one's super cool. They've got a really amazing experience where you can you know use a Telegram and WhatsApp bot and they're integrated so you can do field requests and field send. And they're still finalizing some things on their end. So I'm giving you kind of some sneak preview of stuff that I'm personally most excited about, but stay tuned for those announcements. They're going to be pretty exciting. Just a huge <laughs> shout out to the whole FIO community, specifically the block producers. We have you know block producers all over the world, the blockchain validators for the FIO protocol. We're our own standalone chain. And we did a major deployment just actually this, it was a few days ago on the FIO mainnet for staking. So we're going to be able to take the FIO tokens and stake them. And there's going to be rewards for those to do that. And it's a way to kind of reward those who spend the time and energy to vote for the block producers, participate in the DAO governance that we have on chain. And I'm very excited about that. I mean, it was like seven or eight different multi-sigs that had to be approved, code reviews that had to be done. And that team, we actually had them all live on a Zoom call. It was like 20, 30 people on a call once so that we could deploy those in the right order. And it was just, it was amazing to be a part of, to see the governance happening in real time from people all over the world, all participating voluntarily. It was, it was amazing. It was a great example of what we can talk about on this call. And that took place this week as well. Last but not least question, what are you going to do next after the podcast? Well, it's almost seven o'clock here. I'm actually going to go ahead and say hello to my wife and kids because I've been on meetings all day long. And then I think I have a couple other meetings that I had to bump because of other meetings. So I might jump back a little. Sounds like my days. <laughs> so Luke, this has been amazing, man. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and Fio and all the other cool stuff you're working on? 
I'm Luke Stokes on Twitter, Luke Stokes on PeakD or Econc.com or Hive.blog. Those are all interfaces for the Hive blockchain. Uh, so I'm Luke Stokes there as well. Also Luke Stokes on Telegram. And as far as FIO, it's JoinFIO is the Twitter handle. That's kind of our most active place for announcements and things of that nature. It's also FIOProtocol.io. And we'd love to have you involved, get involved, whether you've got NFTs you want to sign and secure and make sure that there no fraud takes place with them, or you want to experience you know, a FIO request and request funds from someone in an easy, safe manner. We'd love to have you check out Field Protocol and uh, you can ping me as well. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer your questions. That's awesome. And I believe we're going to cook up some kind of cool giveaway for our listeners. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. I was just talking to Ash, who's our head of marketing. We are definitely going to uh, come up with something and we're going to work together. It's going to be fun. There's a combination of cool things you can do. We can send like requests, for example, send a certain field request to this field address, which of course requires that you register a field handle and you get onboarded. And we've got great partners like Edge Wallet that make that really easy. So we can do some really cool stuff with this from a marketing perspective. So your audience can actually engage. And for example, maybe there's like a special code word I could say, Bananas, let's say. So I said bananas on the podcast. So maybe that's the code word. And you have to send a field request with the code word, whatever it might be. I think it was bananas. That could be the thing that validates that you watched the show and that you participated in this conversation. And then we can you know, pick winners from that. So yeah, we're going to have some giveaways probably related to some FIO tokens. We might actually have some giveaways related to if you can demonstrate that you signed an NFT on per, perhaps unique.one's interface. We have so many cool things we can do, but we're going to work together and make it a lot of fun. Well, sounds good. I love bananas. So, and they're a great source of potassium. There you go. We have reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now. Rate us. Say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We're unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drops, Spirit Seeds, leading to Living Tree NFTs, which light the way to our event, NFTLA, a one-of-a-kind, immersive, and unforgettable experience at LA Live in Los Angeles on March 28th to the 30th. So just check it out at nftla.live. You can pick your tickets up at early prices now and move quickly though. Those early bird tickets are going real quick. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective with deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.